Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... I know what you mean. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I have them too. That's when I, whenever I work with teachers and librarians, I begin with, I used to love the five Chinese brothers. That was one of my favorite books when I was a little kid. But then, and I, then I started studying kids' books and someone said, really? And I had to say, oh my God, <laughs> you're right. This is a terrible book. So we all have those moments. Just depends on what they are. We are going to shake things up today. Talk about something current, something topical, something that's made big headlines this past month and brought a lot of attention to ALSC, the Association of Library Service to Children, a division of ALA, the American Library Association, responsible for the Newbery Award, the Caldecott, the Coretta Scott King, and many other significant book awards in children's publishing. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 450. I'm your host, Matthew Winner, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Debbie Reese, a Nambe Pueblo Indian woman, a founding member of the Native American House and American Indian Studies program at the University of Illinois, and the author of the popular blog, American Indians in Children's Literature. Debbie joins me to talk about ALSC's recent decision to change the name of their Lifetime Achievement Award from the Laura Ingalls Wilder Award to Children's Literature Legacy Award. The change has not come without criticism by certain members of the public, and we discuss that and more in our conversation. But before we get started, shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny Sue, Amy, Kate, Darshana, Nicole, Jarrett, Mike, Link, Anitra, Lynn, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Judy, Karina, Teresa, Elaine, and others who are coming with me on this journey and helping to make episodes like today's possible. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash matthewcwinner and pick the support tier that's right for you. And speaking of support, please listen to a short message from our sponsors who help make today's episode possible. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Gallery Nucleus, an art gallery and bookstore where you can find prints, books, and other gifts from some of your favorite children's book illustrators like John Clausen, Christian Robinson, and more. Gallery Nucleus is offering listeners 15% off your next purchase by entering in the promo code WONDER18. Visit gallerynucleus.com to discover more or click on the Gallery Nucleus banner at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. The team shares, Our mission is to help aspiring storytellers learn the craft of storytelling by sharing our creative process intimately. We believe everyone has a story to tell. 
Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast are invited to a free mini class. Enroll today at storytelleracademy.com slash wonder or click on the Storyteller Academy banner at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. And now please welcome my guest, Dr. Debbie Reese, and our discussion of the newly named Children's Literature Legacy Award. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Debbie Reese. I am so grateful to have you on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. We have a lot of current event news to talk about. It's not often that the guest that uh, that is joining me um, is, is bringing not just a wealth of knowledge about children's books, but also something that is very, very, very current in the news. So I want to... Um, talk about how we know each other and and have you introduce yourself uh, as well. But then we have a lot to jump into. So let me first say welcome again and how grateful I am that that, uh, you have this beautiful blog, American Indians and Children's Literature, that if I've done my research correctly, you've been um, writing on since 2006. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. It's it's been, uh, I, I know, formative to a number of of people in um, children's literature, both librarians and teachers and academics. Um, but to make a personal connection, it is a resource that I read daily. It's part of my blog role, and it's one that influences uh, the books that I read, the books that I review, the guests that I invite onto the show, uh, and has continued to feed my own growth as a librarian, as a human being, as a person who teaches children, I feel like there's an awful lot to thank you for that I can't quite put into words. So I'll just say thank you, Debbie. Well, I'm going to say thank you right back because the the kind of work that I do is pushing at things that people hold dear. And you and I kind of came into that space and I was pushing you and you were a little bit resistant, but you know what? We... We came to a place of understanding, and, and that is so rare with so many people, but so powerful when it happens. So I'm really um, happy to be joining you today to talk about some of this stuff that I do, and uh, I'm going to stop talking. Well, Go ahead. I, I, <laughs> I love that you say pushing pushing people on, on those points that they hold dear, because a lot of that is, as we were saying before recording, things that we've grown up understanding or that we think maybe defines us or, or in my personal case, things that we might not want to acknowledge about ourselves because it, there's shame associated with it. There's embarrassment associated with it. Um, but I have come to understand, uh, and start identifying places where I realize that I'm too fragile about, about my view on the world or my, about my feelings or about my, again, here I go tripping over my words. Um, You are calling out uh, things for us to see that we may not have seen before or through a lens that I can say personally, I have not looked through before that of, of, of a, a native author or a native writer or a native person and the experiences that you have and how um, those experiences might be, uh, portrayed in books or and misportrayed in books, and it's it helps to have a myriad of people in your lives uh, to be able to show this is a, a beautiful affirmation for me for this reason, and is a betrayal for me for these other reasons. And you are a person that I look to for that, um, 
and and in particular or of news lately, um, ALSC has opted to change the name of one of their long-standing awards. And what felt especially relevant to me was that it wasn't a new conversation because I had been reading you talk about this for some time. And that is of the Laura Ingalls Wilder Award, the one given for uh, a lifetime achievement, if you will, in children's literature. Can you talk a little bit about your um, uh, about your advocacy or involvement in changing the name of this award? Sure, I can say a few words about that. <clears throat> I hope you can edit that out. <clears throat> I will. When uh, uh, last year, when I first heard that ALSC was going to talk about this at their midwinter meeting in Denver, honestly, I thought. <laughs> Good luck with that. I was very cynical. I was cynical because I had been talking about Little House on the Prairie forever and and getting somewhere with some people, but mostly not because people hold that book very dear. It's almost like a Bible for a lot of Americans, um, people in the United States. So I was skeptical because of that, but also because I've been um, living in Urbana, Illinois. I call Nambe Pueblo home. That's where I'm from. That's where my family is. But I've been at the University of Illinois um, where I started graduate school. And when I got there, there was a mascot, an Indian mascot. And the work that I did over 20 years on that told me that, you know, people are very resistant to change, especially to something that they have an emotional attachment to. Um, with a mascot, your parents take you to those games and you do the things that your parents are doing. So you have this emotional attachment that has something to do with your own family's love of it. So I thought, okay, this is never going to happen. Um, but since they were willing to try at ALSC, I was willing to try too. And I wrote about it more and talked to people about it as much as I could. And then and then uh, I read the report and, uh, that came out in May, I think it was, and they were recommending to retire it, to get rid of it, to change the name. And I, and I was kind of astonished. And then at the meeting that just happened in New Orleans, um, I went to the meeting when they were talking about the report and the recommendations. And honestly... Um, when I walked in, I thought, oh, dear, this is a room full of, of what, what, what seemed to me to be white people who I have, in my experience, found to be very resistant to change of this kind. And then when they voted unanimously, I just didn't know what to do. I was just kind of stunned. People in the room stood to applaud, and I, I did too, but I was, it was like in slow motion. I was like, is this real? It just didn't feel real. How could this be happening in front of me? I was in a historic moment that was very, very powerful. In fr- the, so, the, yeah. The meeting itself it it was like uh it was like an open forum that was happening in front they were making this decision they were talking this through in front of an audience is that how i understand it yeah the meetings are open so anybody who's a member of ALA and happens to be at the conference can go to the meeting and uh the board was having the had many a, a day long agenda and this was one of the items there and that started they took that item up around 3:40 in the afternoon see i remember these dates because yeah, of these times because yeah 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 um because i was watching and i was tweeting out and i was being very judicious in my tweets um i didn't want to be excited because what if it didn't go the way I wanted to. So I was being very careful in what I was saying, very measured in my tweets from there. Um, but yes, so there were people who were members of the association who were in the room 
to listen to the board talk about the report and make and then make their vote and then make their vote see what i you talk about you tweeting and that was one of the things that first um caught my attention that this was even happening um and i loved that you were tweeting much like i've seen other people tweet about like live tweeting when they're watching some television show you were live tweeting this meeting and it was it was exciting. I mean, I felt on the edge of my seat, as I'm sure many people in that room were, um, for that historic decision. Um, and I, so <laughs> you say that you were doing it judiciously. I was there excited. And I think many, many other people um, were grateful for the opportunity for the window to be uh, open to letting in uh, those of us who weren't able to attend that conference to also see how this was happening and how how sort of quickly uh, the emotion swept through the room when, when the decision was announced. Yeah, it was a powerful moment, and I will never forget it, and I'm forever grateful to Nina Lindsay, who is the ALSC president, and to the board, who, who um, wrestled with something that was really hard to do, I think, because of the place that Laura Ingalls Wilder occupies in the United States, in the hearts of so many people. So, And I understand, I understand that there's emotion attached to this, so I'm also mindful of that. And then, and then at the same time, I think, don't be mindful of that. This is a hugely important moment for Native children who have to read that book or hear it read aloud in the classrooms. Now, I know there are two different mm. things, the name of the award and the books themselves, but the name of the award being changed does invite a lot of people to reconsider the books, and hopefully to choose other books to use in the classroom. Right. The name of the the name that the committee selected was the um, Children's Literature Legacy Award, which uh, I think does preserve the intent of the award. But you're right. Also takes off her name. And we had talked about um, when you have those personal connections to the book growing up. Maybe this is a book that was read to you growing up, or your your parents read and so they wanted to continue reading it on um i think that your when we look back at something through through that lens of memory or through perhaps what might feel like you're looking back at something through love because you were having a connection with your parents i think that all often or all too often blinds us to what what we didn't see or didn't hear about the book that that could be causing harm or in this case was um, causing harm to 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 all of those readers, <laughs> whether they knew it or not, right? I mean, talk about what, yes, it what... isn't just it isn't just native readers. Certainly, it's, it's it causes native readers to be uncomfortable. And I've had many native parents write to me about that when their kids are uh, when their third grade teacher, usually it's a third grade assignment, are reading that book, and uh, the native kids are sitting there listening to their teacher read aloud. The only good Indian is a dead Indian. Mm. And so, of course, that lays a heavy burden on the child. But it also, um, for the when teachers don't address it, that's that's the other part is that I have been looking high and low for 20 years for lesson plans that help teachers actually use that book in the classroom, and they don't exist. Um, they they just aren't there. Teachers just blow past all of that stuff, and the non-native children in the classroom normalize stereotypical images of people and they grow up holding all kinds of ideas in their heads that shape how they behave in the world um, as adults. And that's frightening. That's very frightening. See, that's an experience that I can 
connect with and that that makes me feel I'm feeling those emotions that that you and I first connected over uh online but those emotions of I I remember I can re- recall experiences in my early teaching and before that where I read a book and went oh that doesn't feel right but let's just move on let me just read it quickly or let's not talk about it or let's focus on the good parts of the book and that's something now that that I feel for me in a lot of cases is impossible to ignore now. Now it's, 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 you know, the thing that, that I, I I can't look away from when there's something in a book that feels off to me or something in a video or something that just feels, I mean, for me, it was uh, a, a, a Facebook video this week that was circulating about this pastor in some like progressive church, mega church out wherever saying about how, like we need to, I think the quote was, we need to, uh, love the a-holes. And she went on this whole thing about loving a-holes, but she talked also about how, um, you know, some people grow up thinking that it's a pansy response to, uh, reply or to, to be spoken about this way. And, and, and uh, for me, I'm going clearly not able to articulate cause I have emotion locked into this experience. Um, uh, for me to hear that word pansy being thrown around in that derogatory way is triggering for me, being a queer adult, being a queer male and being a person that hasn't understood or has a lot, has had a lot of shame attached to my queerness growing up. I hear that now and think I can't, I, I, I can't not talk about this. And so I'm, I, I can understand how hard it is to come from a position of breezing by stuff, giving someone a pass and being in a place now where you feel like that's that's impossible you can't let that happen we can't allow that to to permeate yeah i do think that so there's a lot your experience is one and i think that every uh, um there are many groups in the country who are from what we call marginalized populations or demographics who have been misrepresented mm. um assaulted by language or actual physical assaults um uh, far more than most people are aware of. And heightening awareness of all of that is hard, but vital. And I, I think part of what, I, we're, here we are in <laughs> a very political conversation, <laughs> as it is, um, that, that um, in the last, this is how I understand where we are at this moment in history. People have been speaking up about these problems for a long time, but didn't have the platforms to get visibility for these concerns. Uh, social media has given us that visibility. And so kids who do blackface and play Indian at college campuses or dress up like quote unquote wetbacks, all of these things that have been going on for a long time are now visible. And most of the people who were doing these things are not of those particular groups. So they're feeling shame and embarrassment at that. And the reaction has been rather than, oh, I probably shouldn't do that. The reaction has been, oh, you people are complaining. And so I think that groundswell of uh, people who felt like we were all complaining um, has resulted in the current president being elected. That, 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 I think, is a lot of what's going on. And so bringing this back to children's books, what kids see in books when they're little 
makes a difference in how they behave as adults. So if they didn't understand that a stereotype of Native peoples was a problem, and we ask to revisit it now, they feel shame and anger rather than, oh. So I'm really glad to have this time with you because I know that you reach out to a lot of teachers. We can make some difference happen. You know, I think I, I think that... Not only is it important to make that difference, but I, I want to circle back to social media because you okay. you are very visible on social media and um, social media allows us to have conversations. Like you said, that it allows visibility where where before people might not have had visibility or might not have had that platform. Um, and I know that there are, uh, just to call it out, I hope you don't mind. I know that there are times when you get a lot of flack for, for how... Um, straightforward you are about bringing issues to light. And I think that what I see often when people react negatively, um, including a case when uh, a recent celebrity was, was reacting negatively, not, well, I guess also to you, but in, in reaction to the name change of the award, um, I, I see a lot of of fragility, of people perhaps not being accustomed to being called out on sharing their opinion or feeling like this is Twitter. I can say whatever I want and, and, and no one should disagree with me because this is a place where um, if you disagree, then we're going to label you a troll and, and like make an enemy out of you. Right. Uh, Oh, look at this person running around picking on people. How, where I want to uh, bring the focus with you though, is how, how do you personally Debbie find the, the strength, the wherewithal, the, the, the continued commitment to advocating for this despite despite people meeting you with such resilience. I admire your strength in that. I, I I look to you as a model for how to find strength through that, but but I, I would like to hear more of, of of what that experience is like for you and how you continue to approach the table with bringing this vis- visibility to light. Well, I have photographs of my daughter and her cousins all around me. And and I do get what you're characterizing correctly as, um, uh, well, I don't know what you said. But I do get attacked for what I say, and it is uh, heavy at times. But the resilience that I have is because... I have these kids in my head and heart and mm. all around me. These photos all around me remind me this is why I'm doing this work. And and to some people, you know, they roll their eyes and they think that's cheesy, but that's reality. This work that I'm doing and that you're doing is because this country has many children in it. We're all here and we all count equally. Um, so... That's kind of how I do. I go at that, and and one of the things that really draws a lot of ire is when I say white people, mm. um, because <laughs> people people don't like that. They don't like to be called white, and they don't like me to remind them that children's books are very white. They they feel like that's an attack, um, and it. I understand they feel that way, but but it's a it's a criticism that we need to pay attention to so that we can do something about it. Um, I think that uh, this is the celebrity that you're talking about, um, William Shatner. We can say that, right? Oh, we yeah. can say of that. Of course we can. And he's all he's yeah. all over Twitter. Of course we can. 
Yeah, William Shatner is is uh, was upset about the name change and tweeted something out. And I was um, on vacation, so I was a, a, a day or two behind that particular thread. Uh, when I caught on to it, I saw a lot of Native people had been blocked. That you know, some Native people who were fans of of, of uh, William Shatner or the, his Star Trek series had been trying to talk with him about why the name change was important and he blocked them <laughs> rather than trying to have a conversation he was blocking them and then he went on the attack uh, with two um, african-american professors who i know um, even went so far as to try and get their institutions to take a look at what they were doing so it was a, an extraordinary moment when someone with two and a half million followers was using his platform in ways that i think were ultimately harmful to the uh, work that you and I and Dr. Ebony Elizabeth Thomas and Dr. Bridget Fielder do um, on the daily, trying to make things better for kids. And anyway, it was an interesting moment. <laughs> yes, quite. I mean, I, I was reading about, I was reading, a, 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 I've been reading a lot of articles on it, and I'll link to a number of them in, in the show notes. But um, I saw that tweet thread in which he was attacking those professors and and say and and uh, responding and including the um, university accounts to try to bring uh, attention or negative attention what he thought to to their universities for this and I just I so you said it was cheesy to use your words you said it was cheesy perhaps that you're around your computer is like all these pictures of your of children right of your children and. I think it's cliche how often I say these decisions I make are always rooted in the faces of my 650 children that I teach every day. I can't not think about them and to see to see Shatner or anyone um, feeling so um, reacting the way that they are, um, but but clearly coming from from one person's perspective and not thinking of a of a wider audience or more importantly not listening to silence voices like that by blocking um to not to not be willing to go where things might get uncomfortable for you because you might realize that that maybe there are a lot of places I need to learn or maybe these people are actually approaching me wanting to have a conversation not attack me but but I'm hearing it as attack it's just I I don't know. I I think about that 2.3 million you say followers and and how much more damage uh he's causing by by saying those things and and by by not approaching this with humility and just by listening and by thinking about the real people that have been affected by all of this. Yeah, I you know I read an um, so I did an article for the Guardian about that, and I've and I've added that to the list of articles that I'm curating on my blog mm. post about the Wilder name change. I added another one yesterday because uh, someone had done some more work on Shatner and and learned that he's actually rather conservative. I didn't know this because I don't follow him, but um, he's very conservative politically. Um, and it, the example they gave was that when a couple of years ago, or he, he was he provided some funding for a Confederate monument, mm. I think in in Kentucky, 
And that was apparently coming down, and he was not happy with that either. So it was quite the thing. You know, we, we make, we make um, I think we as a society make some assumptions about some of the celebrities that we know and sometimes are surprised by their politics when we learn about them. Well, and I love the insight to what the a recent article I read yesterday was saying about that, that, that he was defending the the um, statue uh, potentially because he also has an interest in like equine uh, competitions or something like that. And this was a person that had something to do with horses. And I thought, I mean, how fitting in this as well, that we want to defend because of one one thing we we love and that allows us to be that allows us to show blindness to something else. And when we show and the, that blindness, how harmful it is. Yeah, and I think that characterizes a lot of what I'm finding in children's books when I do the analyses that I do of them, mm. that um, people will say, well, they did this part really good, so I'm just going to ignore it the problems they have with the native representation. The list of that is very high. So, you know, there's, um, if we have an LGBT, LGBTQ story and they have bad representation of native people, the response is, well, but this part is good, so let's ignore that. If it's about disabilities, they say, well, the disability depiction is good, so let's ignore the native problems. That list just keeps getting higher and higher. Um, it, it, as if we can't do both. As, as if we can't, we can't improve. Right. And and, and what, what feels to me is that we have so many books like Little House on the Prairie, older classics, but newer ones too, that just uh, we're asked over and over and over again to ignore the bad native representation. Uh, that that doesn't help anybody. Hmm. Um, so that that's a that's something that I know that we get thrown under the bus over and over and over again. When when new books come out and people like them and they think there's something very positive and that we should overlook the bad stuff, that we just it just throws us under the bus over and over and over. You have given such great things to think about and i hope i hope people listening to this will allow this conversation to resonate with them hear it again just just feel it think about our own biases think about the, the ignorance that we might have in our life and just be willing to acknowledge it in in the safe space that i do feel like if you look there is a lot of safety in children's literature. There's a lot of resources that we can reach out. We can talk to people. I know you have uh, very publicly on your blog always made um, email welcome from educators that have questions that are unsure. Um, there are many, many websites that, that we can look to as, as guideposts for, for books to read, for people doing things right and why, and for representation in, in authentic ways. And I appreciate you for doing that, and I appreciate other uh, blogs for doing that as well. But really, I I I want to just take a moment personally and tell you um, that I'm really feeling it, Debbie. I really I really am feeling too how how your words are affecting me today, and I I'm taken a bit back because I feel like I've I've read so much of your work, but talking to you personally is is really doing something in me as well. So thank you, thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. Before we go, and I do want to, I do want to wrap up by bringing us back to uh, children. I want to ask you this question about children. Let me first ask you: Is there anything we didn't talk about today that you want to make sure people listening hear? Want to make sure people uh, hear from you or hear about um, the Children's Literature Legacy Award, or or just is there anything else? Another anything else that you want to make sure people know? 
Yeah, I do. I think that 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 teachers and librarians, when they think about Native people, they think of us as people of the past, and they think of us as culture or a cultural group. Um, in fact, we're still here. Um, so that's number one, looking for books for your libraries and classrooms that show us as people of the present day not as people of the past. So put, push aside that historical fiction and push aside those folktales, many of which are really problematic. Mm. Um, be, uh, problematic because they, they, they treat our religious stories as folk or fairy tales, and they're not. They're sacred stories just like stories in the Bible are. But So push aside historical fiction, push aside folklore, get stories, fiction written by Native people that are set in the present day. So that's that's one thing. But the second thing is we're not a cultural group. Um, we are often put within the multicultural framework of literature. We are actually sovereign nations within the United States. So we have a different dimension to our existence here. We might be people of color. Some of us are people of color, but our primary distinction is that we are citizens of sovereign nations. And the United States became a nation, but before it became a nation, we were already nations of people, hundreds of them. And I would really like teachers to shift the way they think about us as people who dance and drum to people who had diplomats and have diplomats who um, enter into diplomatic negotiations with world leaders. That's who we are, and that's missing. And uh, what, what I think that is really important for teachers to know is that when they reach for the folktale, when they reach for the historical fiction, when they reach for books that have dancing and drumming, they are misinforming the kids in their classroom. They are hurting us because we are people of the present day, not the past. And those kids might be in their classroom and they're not aware of it because they're expecting Native kids to have high cheekbones and black hair and darker mm. skin. When in fact, that doesn't matter. Citizenship does not mean what you look like. It, it has something entirely different. Excellent. Ah, And while you're saying this, I just keep thinking of these books that you've been recommending on your blog and recent books that I've read and and just how exceptional they are and how uh, different they are from things that I've read in the past, but how excited I am for for the coming school year. We're recording this over the summer for the coming school year. Um, do you... Bef I know I keep asking you one more thing, one more thing. That's okay. Do, I'm you, happy. <laughs> I, can't, I can't not let a fellow book nerd go without talking about some books. Do you have any books on your mind recently that you recommend? I read, um, I got Bow Wow Pow Wow out of my public library and I had seen that previously on your blog. So I was excited to check it out and I loved it. I thought it was so good. I can't wait to read it again. I love the illustration. I loved uh, the dual language going on. I wonder what else uh, you've been reading or just that you have read that you're excited about from, um, from native authors and illustrators. Well, I'm very excited about um, so about Cynthia Lytic Smith's new book coming out, um, Hearts Unbroken. Yes, I can't and wait to read it. Have you read it yet? I am partway through it. Oh. I, was, I was reading it on the plane to um, either ALA or CHLA, two conferences that I went to recently. But And I got to that part where she references Eric Gansworth's book. Oh, I love those moments. You know, part of what I see, I get, here we go. <laughs> part of what I see that I see is very harmful is so many children's book writers today 
are writing books where their where their characters are loving on Little House on the Prairie. And I'm thinking, no, 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 let's not do that. That's bad. Come on, go back and read the book. You don't have to do this. Um, editors, pay attention. You don't have to do this. But so it was a high point for me. I mean, it was such a powerful moment for me to be reading through Cynthia's book and come to that page where one of her characters hands another character a book by a native writer, Eric Gansworth's If I Ever Get Out of Here. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, those are such powerful and affirming moments for me as an adult. And I think they would be the same thing for kids. So I'm very high on that book right now. Um, I'm also very excited about Eric's second book, um, that uh, Give Me Some Truth, that's, come, that's out. That's Eric Gansworth. I have that on my to-be-reading pile. Yes. yes. Okay. I knew we knew the name. Yeah. Yeah, definitely take a look at that. You've read that, right? How is that? Both of his books. Yeah, both of his books. Um, So I like Eric's books very much. Did you give me some truth? Did you read Give Me Some Truth? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, Yeah. Awesome. 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 Yeah. I'm hoping to have um, Cynthia on the show later this year. I haven't read the book yet, though. I'm excited to get a copy of it. Uh, I'll have to pre-order it. But um, I did. Here's another writer you can get on. Um, Tracy Sorrell. Oh, Uh, Tracy's Tracy's coming on for this picture book. Yes, okay. please, please keep talking. Keep talking, please. Though, that's what I was going to say. Is you have to get her on to talk about her picture book that's coming out in a few months too. Um, if I had it right here in front of me, I could tell you the title of it. That's terrible, we Matt. Are you can't. Thankful? You can't. You have to. Yes. <laughs> yes. There's a there's a word there though that I don't know how to pronounce. She will tell you how to do. She that. will tell it. And I know that I have a friend that works at Charles Bridge, and Charles Bridge is publishing it. And I guess Tracy came in to record either an audio recording of the picture book or like an audio guide to some of the words. There was some audio component that Tracy was recording though. I'm aware that we'll, we'll accompany that book. Great. Cool. That's really important. You know, I, I love seeing more and more writers, native writers using uh, words from their language in the book. So that's another thing that people can look for were uh, native words, uh, native language in children's books. And I think you probably had, did you have Julie Flett on? Not Julie yet. does a lot. We of keep that. trying to schedule a date. I'm so excited. She's been busy, busy, busy making books. Um, yeah. She she is coming on, and Richard Van Camp. We haven't recorded yet. We keep moving back our dates because he's under deadline as well. But um, too often. Richard is Richard is astonishingly dear in so many ways. I've heard that... he's a hoot too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. Great. But, it, but the love that he has is palpable you can feel it when you're with him well i am going to add images and links to these author and illustrators books i'm writing down richard's name so i don't forget um when i post this episode so that people can scroll down and see some other books as well as i'll link to your best books i always love your best books links but um now why don't i thank you one more time for coming on thank you for your time debbie it really was wonderful and um i want to bring us back to children uh, as I can hear mine playing in the background <laughs> and um, I'll leave you with, with this. I'll see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Debbie, is there a message that I can bring to them from you? <sighs> Have you read Jingle Dancer by Cynthia Lytick Smith? I would read that book to them right then and there. Thank you. 
This is Mel Shewitt, author of the Let's Talk Picture Books blog. The children's book podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals, myself included, and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which means more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.